and welcome to Burning the Village podcast, The Interviews. In this part of the series, the young creators of the podcast sit down to talk with decision makers about how they felt listening to Femi and Ash's story and how their issues reflect real life problems and obstacles for young people today. We will be diving in deep with them, understanding their opinions and exploring their views on potential solutions to these issues. First up, we sit down with Nikki Eichen, Conservative Member of Parliament for Cities of London and Westminster. Let's see what she had to say about the burn in the village story and the issues raised in it. So I am Nikki Aiken. I am the Member of Parliament for the Cities of London and Westminster. And we are actually sitting in um, Parliament today in the heart of London. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I think the first question um, that we just asked, obviously we don't have much time left, but um, what was your sort of general sense um, from that episode you know what did you feel what did you think did you gravitate towards any characters in particular or do you have any sort of comments about any of the characters that you heard um in the podcast well I thought Jess was a great woman and she's obviously trying to do the best for her brother you know you have to ask yourself why she was put under so much pressure by her parents you know sent over here with her little brother um, to bring him up and that's a lot to ask a 17 year old mm. and you know she's obviously devoted her life to him um, he's got himself mixed up with stuff that you know he shouldn't have got himself mixed up with but we all know the pressures that a lot of young people are, are, are put under by peer groups so but I think she came over really well she wants the best for her brother and she's frustrated mm. and I did feel for Femi as well you know he is he's had a tough time um, he's come out he obviously wants to uh, do the best by Jess, uh, but again, as I said, there's lots of pressure under, uh, under for uh, for people like um, family coming out of prison. Mm-hmm. And um, earlier, before we started recording, we had a brief discussion when we were talking about um, prisons, and you personally felt that um, the prison system needed um, quite a lot of reform. I think you spoke about sort of education, perhaps, and you know, offering um, something so that people don't come out of work or come out of jail, sorry, with nothing. Um, Obviously, I think, you know, we can probably all agree that Femi would have benefited from some kind of program like that. You know, is there, um, I mean, how would you in, in an ideal world like to see those sorts of programs being rolled out? Well, I think prison has got two functions. It's got to be there to punish behavior. So if you do something that uh, requires a prison sentence, then you should receive that prison sentence. But we all know from uh, all the research that's been done on prison populations that an awful lot of people are there um, for a whole range of reasons but a lot of younger people in particular are there because they have uh, mental health issues or they've just got themselves uh, mixed up in something they shouldn't have got themselves mixed up in and I would like to see prisons yes as a punishment but also um, about reform and about trying to uh, teach the person who's in prison the error of their ways and to give them the ability to come out once they've paid their um, their dues to uh, society and, and um, you know, carried out their prison sentence, that they come out and they have got options. I think we all need options in life. And if we have given that person uh, skills and education, we know that um, particularly a lot of people in, in the prison population can't always read and write. Uh, for a whole host of reasons and so the first 
job should be to ensure that they can read and write, but also give skills. Uh, and we know in this country that we have got massive skill shortages. So why don't we reform our prisons um, in some aspects? There'll always be people who will never come out for because they've, they've carried out heinous crimes and they will be in for a long, long time. Um, and they'll have life sentences. But for those who are on sentences, maybe below eight years, there should be a package, I think, attached to them where um, the prison will teach them a skill, whether it's bricklaying, whether it's plumbing, whether it's IT skills, whatever it's going to be. So they come back out and they have got the skills that they can walk into a job or further training. But it also gives them confidence, I think. And if you are in a situation where particularly if you've been involved in the drug drug industry and you've been uh, drug dealing or drug supplying and you know nothing else, then really you've got no other option really but to come back out and you'll be perhaps living back with your parents, mm. mixing with her with Femi, mixing with the same people straight away. Mm -hmm. But if they've got a skill, that then hopefully they can get a job. Mm -mm. Um, one other thing that was brought up in the podcast was the fact that he had to, you tried to join the programme, but because of his criminal record it was a bit of an issue so let's say we in a perfect world we do have these kind of things where okay you learn a trade they teach you Britlane or IT skills but you've got a criminal record how do you see that being combated yeah and you're absolutely right about that because you know obviously you know you, if someone does come out with a skill and then they cut and then they stop from getting a job or going to further training because of their criminal record that's not helping anybody so there has to be an understanding and there can be I'm sure um, a situation where you can put in safeguards to make sure that person, whatever the crime that he or she have committed, that um, that you can protect those around them on the course or in the job um, in case they, they are tempted to reoffend. But, you know, it's not going to help any... It doesn't help the person involved and it doesn't help society in general if we keep putting barriers in the way of people coming out of prison. Mm. Um, I think um, it would also be kind of helpful for us to perhaps look at the reason why people go into prison in the first place. Um, and obviously it's um, just playing a bit of devil's advocate here for the sake of the podcast. Um, but, you know, if we are sort of already um, trying to educate people um, once they're sort of in the prison, do you not feel that it's possibly a bit too late and there's something that can be done beforehand, especially in the way of the education system that we currently have, to maybe better equip people for options earlier so that, you know, there isn't that sort of, um, well, school to prison pipeline, so to speak. I'm not sure, you know, if you're particularly familiar with that, but, you know, if, I mean, what would your, your thoughts be on sort of having something earlier so that it reduces or... Um, yeah, reduces the rate of, you know. Well, offending. you know, I think we have to um, recognise that in London, in particular where we are today, uh, we have got some of the best schools in Britain, state mm. schools. You know, in Westminster, um, <clears throat> where I live and it's part of my constituency and also in the city of London where uh, the corporation supports around about, I think, 10 academies um, in the city and, 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 and other boroughs. Um, they are outstanding schools. So there is the opportunity to have the education. Um, and we've seen um, some amazing academies, particularly in East London, which are sending, um, you know, eight, nine, ten uh, young people to Oxford, which is amazing. So it doesn't, I do not believe that 
poverty should stop anybody from achieving. And I think there's some amazing academies that, that prove that. However, there are situations because of someone's background that there's not maybe um, the feeling of... Um, or the support at home for education there may be issues about housing and they don't have the room to study um, or uh, you know there's there's issues at home and they just don't feel comfortable about studying Mm. Uh, and so they don't and they fall behind the rest of their peers in school Um, so there should be more help for um, training Uh, in Westminster we opened a, a, um, a technical college university technical college teaching about engineering and that was really important that's really for um uh, kids who don't really want to stay on in the main mainstream schools i've got a major concern about uh prus pupil referral units Mm. um i think that we should be rethinking completely the offer there i think one of the problems is that when um, a young person is um excluded from school and is referred to a pru um the school then just wipes their hands of them and they just and I think they should remain the um the responsibility of the school and Mm. that they should be going to Prus for respite and respite shouldn't necessarily always be about education it should be about uh concentrating on why that young person has been excluded and I went to um the Peru in Westminster recently there are kids as young as six there um there should no primary school kids should be excluded from school for that type of uh length of time and sent for Prue, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but Prue should be about understanding the problems. Quite often the people who are excluded, it's usually suffering from mental health issues or, um, you know, they don't, they can't read and write because they've fallen behind in, in primary school. So they haven't got the confidence and it's about, they ha- and they haven't got the communication skills. So Prue should be, I think, about respite and taking the young person out dealing with the problems and getting them to a stage where they can go back to mainstream school and then that should help? Um, Sometimes school's not always the way for a lot of children. Um, It is extracurricular activities and programs and um, youth programs and stuff and I've just got a few statistics here between 2012 to 2016 600 youth centres closed um, and 3,500 youth workers lost their jobs and 100,000 places for young people went and this was um, 2018 statistics so it's probably going worse definitely Um, and even in my own experience I've seen the lives of young people change because they have music programs, dance programs, um, and that was stripped away from people that I've seen. I've been lucky enough to to be academically successful, so I've had that route, but I've seen people in my peripheries just like their lives completely change when there's just not these um, areas for them to explore yeah. other options other than you know academic success. Um, and I just want to, know what are your thoughts on that and what is the government doing and I know I know you can't speak for the entire government but like what where are we at with um with these extracurricular activities and yeah. funding for young people and well programs? I think you're absolutely right and we've seen um we did see uh over 10 years uh local authority um budgets cut by over 60 percent and because youth services were not statutory services um, they weren't protected. And so local authorities had to make really tough decisions. And I, as leader of um, Westminster City Council at the time, had to make tough decisions, which I came to regret. And I realised um, 
that actually we need to do more to support young people. So that's when I announced um, back in 2018 that actually we were going to uh, continue, start to uh, fund youth services again. And we, were, we put half a million pounds in a year um, up until 22 now um, because we do need to provide young people with different options and different um, you know, choices. Uh, and so we, we, did go, we did get it wrong. And I think politicians have got to accept sometimes they get it wrong, admit it and make it right. And I did. Um, but, you know, today we've had the budget. It's very clear the amount of money that the government is now investing in services. Um, and I do hope now that we will see uh, more services for young people, for everybody. We've got to remember why austerity measures came in. It was because this country was broke. Because we all know you can't spend the money you don't have. You know, we all have our own incomes. We all have our own uh, budgets. You, if you go over it, there's no more money. And that's what happened when the coalition government took over in 2010. And the then Labour Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Liam Byrne, actually left a note saying there's no more money left. So he wasn't joking. There was no more money left. And therefore, tough decisions had to be made. And usually, it's young people who pay the price. So hopefully now, we have got a stronger economy. Yes, we are going through some issues because of um, the coronavirus. But I am very confident of what I heard the Chancellor say today, that we shall see improvements in public sector spending, um, because we have to. In Westminster, when I was leader, I um, established... A, uh, a scheme called City Lions, which is about giving young people uh, opportunities that they may not be able to get. It's from 13 to 16. I um, have got two teenagers. I, I am fortunate that I know the doors that I can knock on to open for them. But I am no uh, less confident. You know, I, I know that um, uh, mothers living on the estates in Westminster have got no less ambitions for their children than I have, but they don't know which doors to open. So City Lines is about opening those doors. So we have organisations like um, Somerset House and uh, the Royal Opera House and the Zoo and major uh, creative industries in Soho working with us to show young people the job opportunities that are out there and maybe opening the, opening up opportunities for them. And that's what we should be doing a lot more of. Thank you for listening. Your hosts have been Candy Asimadu, a former Ojuku, and Brian Fafana. This episode was brought to you by Creative Media Network and What Up. This episode was mixed by Laura Briley Newton from What Up. BTV was made possible by Peabody. Catch you next time on Burning the Village. <laughs>